Hey, it is good to be together uh, this morning. I just want to say again a, uh, a special welcome to any guests or visitors that are with us uh, here today. We, we love new people. We expect new people. We ex- expect you uh, to come and uh, check it out and to be a part of our family here. And we pray that you feel uh, loved and, and encouraged and welcomed during your time here today. Uh, here's a question that I have for you. Actually, I'm just sort of pondering this this week. The truth is, um, all of us are good at something. All of us are good at certain things. I just want you to think about that in your own life for a second. Um, what is it that you would say that you're proficient at? What is it that you would say that you're good at? Could be something small, could be something big. What is it that you're proficient at? What are you good at? And the chances are you probably wouldn't just say, oh, I'm good at that. Chances are you would say, I'm passionate about it. What is that thing in your life that you are proficient at, but you're also passionate about it? And the truth is, these things in our lives, they can almost become obsessions for us, right? Is anybody obsessed with something? Maybe it's uh, ice cream or air conditioning or something like that that you're obsessed with. Um, We just love to do certain things, and we love to do things so much that, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but we end up saying things like this, I was born to right? And fill in the blank. I was born to fill in the blank with whatever it is that we do so well. I was born to whatever it is that you're thinking. And I'm wondering, what is one of your, I was born to, what is that for you as you're thinking? I was born to, so I just want to do a little uh, Hope Des Moines poll here. Um, How many of you would say, I was born to shop? Just be honest here, okay? Just be honest. I was born to shop. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're in church. You need to be honest, right? I was born to shop. Well, you, uh, there's some of you, and some of you are just not raising your hands, and you're lying, and that's between you and God. Um, I was born to shop. So some of you, when you walk into Target or Kohl's, they know you by name, right? You just walk in there, and they say, how can I help you? And then they say uh, your name. Um, How many of you would say, and this one, I know we have some people, so I'll know that you're lying. I was born to run. I was born to run. There we go. We've got a church of runners. I was born to run. You people are sick. Um, Okay. Seriously, I had some roommates that were marathon runners at one point. They ran more in one day than I have my entire life. Just sick. Um, Here's one, maybe for the band. How many of you would say, I was born to rock? I was born, yeah, there we go, absolutely. Or maybe you just like music, yeah, you were born to rock, right? Get that fist pumping, absolutely. Um, How about maybe along those same lines, you were born to sing. Anybody just love to sing? Yeah, you were born, it doesn't matter if you do it all the time or not. You came out of the womb and you were like Beyonce. You just coming out of the room and that was random. I don't know why I chose that. I don't even like Beyonce, but okay. Uh, You were born to sing. So um, how about, um, ooh, how about this one? I was born to golf. Anybody? One per, that's what I thought, because you know what? The rest of them are golfing right now. They're skipping church to golf. Um, that's, that, that would be mine for sure. So when I think about golfing, I, I think I was born to golf. When I think about golf, I get giddy. And it's kind of a strange obsession, but I'm wondering, I need a little therapy session here for your pastor. Do you think that it's bad if I organize my weekend schedule around when the four major golf tournaments are on TV every year? Is that bad? Is that kind of weird? Oh, good. A few charity claps there. Good. Okay. You have sympathy for me. You're, you're all obsessed uh, with something. So maybe it's not golf. Maybe you would say, for some of you, I was born to fish. Anyone? I was born to fish. 
all right, this is going to be a great sermon today because we're all going to learn how to fish. Anyway, some of you say, I was born to fish. I remember growing up, and you have to understand, I've, I've probably told you this before in one way or another. My brother and I were your, like, prototype, typical um, 10-year-old boys that just loved sports, but not just any sports, what we would call real sports, sports that end in ball, okay? So that was, wills would be real sports. Now, I know that's not golf, but things change. So um, we don't really get into weird things like NASCAR and fishing, right? Is fishing really a sport? So I remember one time when we were about, you know, nine or 10, my dad comes home and he says, um, Boys, today, guess what? We're going to go fishing. And my brother and I go, no, we don't want to go fishing. That's not a real sport. I mean, no offense, but there's no ball involved with fishing. It's just this icky, slimy, geeky, blech, right? Why would I want to go fishing? He says, oh, no, my dad says, it'll be great. We're going with Homer. Homer, okay, not Homer Simpson, but Homer, you mean 80-year-old, kind of old and wrinkly and boring and doesn't really talk at all and just kind of moans and grunts like an old man and sits in his boat for 12 hours a day, Homer? Yep, that Homer. And how long are we going? All day with Homer. We're going fishing. Well, needless to say, Homer was born to fish. He loved the feeling of that rod, and this is my rod. And I don't think I've used it since the day with Homer. It is duct taped together. So you can see how much I enjoy fishing. So Homer would usually go fish, fishing. He was born to fish, and he'd spend a lot of time on the lake alone. The only thing I remember for that day is spending 12 hours in the, literally 12 hours in the middle of a lake that smelled like, I won't even tell you what it smelled like. And I just, I caught this one little thing. And I just, not only was it gross and slimy and just blech, it was, it was so small that I feel like I robbed this fish of its childhood dreams or something like that. Like it, it's never going to get a chance to grow up and be a teenager. It was just sad. And so then all I remember is just taking it home. And my brother had one little fish and I had one little fish, I think, because Homer caught one out of sympathy for us. And we brought him home. And I just remember cleaning this fish and thinking to myself, I'm going to barf this is gross. How is this a sport? This is not any fun at all. But for some people, maybe, maybe uh, fathers or grandpas in, in your life, some people just love to fish and they love the feel at the end of the rod when you start to get that little tug, right? You start to get that little tug and you're like, oh, what am I going to do, right? Some people just love that feeling, just the euphoria of it. They have died and gone to heaven when they're sitting in the middle of a lake doing nothing. That's what they love. Some people are born to fish. I was not born to fish, and maybe you are too. Maybe you're, you're a fisher type. Maybe you're not today. Even if it goes against everything that I am, today we're not going to talk about golfing. We're going to talk about fishing. Because as it turns out, Jesus talked about fishing all the time. When we read the Gospels, what Kathy just read for us, Mark is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus talked about fishing all over the place. There is a lot of fishy business going on in the Gospels. So you might think the same way that I do about fishing, and that's okay. But what I want us to hear today, what I want us to hear today is that if you decide to follow Jesus, if you're following him today, if you say, I'm a Christian, I'm, which literally means in Christ, if I am in Christ, if I'm following him, 
that Jesus calls every single one of us who's following him to fish. To fish. Not for walleye, not for northern, not for trout, but for people. But for people. And I want to show you that that calling that he's placed on every single one of our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles or you're not there yet, let's turn to Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to learn what Jesus thinks about fishing. So, um, as you're turning there, I uh, want to welcome you to the final week of our sermon series called Wild for Jesus. And we're talking about wild encounters that people have with Jesus. And as it turns out, it's a pretty wild encounter today that Jesus has with some ordinary fishermen, a lot like Homer, except a little bit younger. So skip down to verse 16. If you're in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, and it says this, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. So they didn't have my like, state-of-the-art duct tape uh, fishing poles back then. They had nets. And when the net would break, they would have to fix their nets. And that's when Jesus encounters them. And so here it is. Here's Jesus' call on their lives. And I would argue his call on our lives as well. And actually, I think this is up on the screen. Let's read this together from verse 17. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. How to fish for people. And then it goes on in verse 18. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Continuing on, verse 19. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets because they break a lot. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, First of all, I just think it's kind of funny that Jesus says, hey, come on, guys, that they've never met Jesus. They immediately just get up and leave him. And can you imagine Zebedee, the dad, just standing there with the other higher men going, uh, guys, kind of need your help here. It's kind of funny that he's just standing there, left all alone in the boat, and his sons just take off. But the other thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus makes it pretty clear to them and to us. He says, if you're, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to lay out just like a good teacher and role model, I'm going to lay out the expectations for what that looks like right away. I'm going to lay all my cards on the table right away, Jesus says. And you would think, maybe, maybe your version of Christianity, what, what you've been believing all, this, all these years, you would think, if you didn't know this story at all, if you just covered your eyes and covered the text, and you said, what is Jesus' first call to follow him. You might think Jesus would say something like this. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you. And what is Jesus going to teach you? Well, you might think, well, Jesus wants to teach us to be a better person. Or maybe Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to teach you how to be moral. Uh, just to be a good moral person. Or maybe Jesus wants to teach us how to be more disciplined. That's right. Jesus wants me to be a more disciplined person. That's the most important thing. Actually, no, Jesus calls me to be uh, more spiritual, a more spiritual person, to be more holy. But instead, Jesus doesn't say any of those things, does he? He says to his first followers, the first four people to ever follow Jesus. He says, if you're going to follow me, there's one thing that I need you to do above all else. Fish. Fish for people. Fish for people, verse 17. But then look down at verse 18. It's somewhat surprising to me. We, we can just pass over the story and go, oh, that's great. Follow me and they left. But do you, 
understand what's going on here. Verse 18, it says, and they left their nets at once, or as other translations say, immediately, and followed him. I sometimes wonder, would I? Would you have done that? Now, think about this for a second. At once, these professional fishermen left their entire lives behind and basically said, Jesus, wherever you go, we'll follow. It's the first game of follow the leader. Now, that's wild. James and John left their dad just standing in the boat, and it's kind of a rotten deal for him. But I was reading this, I thought to myself, why would they do that? This, this random teacher, this rabbi comes walking along one day. Why would they just leave everything behind? This rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus, some say the Christ, comes up and they just left it all. Why would they do that? Maybe we need the rest of the story. Maybe we need some context. So during the time of Jesus, most Jewish boys would not grow up wanting to become professional athletes, but if they were a good Jewish boy and stuck with their studies, they would all grow up wanting to become rabbis, right? Jesus was a rabbi. They would grow up wanting to become rabbis, and rabbis were the the Jewish uh, religious and, and sometimes political leaders of the day. They were really popular. Everybody wanted to be like a rabbi. To become a rabbi for a young Jewish boy would be considered making it. And this is what he strived for all throughout his childhood. And so when a boy was really young, he started his religious studies and he would memorize the Torah, which we know is the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch or the Torah. And they would, they would study that and then they would memorize it. You think you had it bad in Sunday school and confirmation. Trained to be a rabbi. That's like raising the bar up. And so then if they were good, as they moved up through sort of elementary school and middle school and then a high school, if they were really good, only the best of the best, if they jumped through all the hoops, they would move up to the next and next level. And if you made it through all the hoops, you would enter what we call Bet Midrash. And that's my best Jewish uh, try at that. Uh, Bet Midrash, which is kind of the highest level, sort of like sort of a glorified high school, I guess is what you would call it where he would actually get to study with a rabbi. Not follow him around yet. Oh, that's the next level up. You can't follow the rabbi yet. Just in the classroom, he would actually get to spend time with a real live rabbi. It's like practicing your free throws with Michael Jordan or something like that. It's just so incredible. Only the best of the best would get to this point. And so the boy, now who's kind of a young man, then if he got through that hoop, He would start to follow the rabbi wherever he went. And his goal was to become exactly like the rabbi. Not just what the rabbi said, not just what he taught, but he would watch every aspect of his life and follow the leader. And so a lot of the boys that never jumped through all these hoops ended up doing a lot of the jobs that, that when we read the Gospels, we see, so uh, that we're familiar with. So maybe uh, carrying on the family trade, so being a farmer or a street vendor or maybe a fisherman. And so when Jesus comes on the scene in Mark 1, we have a little bit more context of what's going on here. We can probably guess that Peter and Andrew and James and John had pretty much settled their minds, I'm going to be a fisherman, Right? Minimum wage, half the taxes go to the stupid Roman government anyway. It's kind of a drag, but it pays the bills. And we're doing it together as a family. But they had probably made up their minds, this is all I'm going to be. This is the extent of the grand uh, plan 
that God has for my life is to be a fisherman. So when these ordinary fishermen are suddenly approached by a rabbi named Jesus, and the rabbi says to the students, come follow me, get your head around that one. You see, usually the, how the system works is if you go through all those levels and if you're a good enough student and you prove yourself and you show yourself to be competent enough, you as the student go to a rabbi if you can find one and ask, sir, could I please have the honor and the privilege of following you? Jesus comes to these ordinary, smelly fishermen and says, I want you to follow me. It was said that when a rabbi actually asked a student to follow him, he was saying, I am 100% confident that you can become like me. I want you to walk with me, talk with me, learn from me, observe the way that I do life. So for these disciples, this is an incredible invitation to relationship. So, so picture your favorite athlete, uh, your favorite singer, your favorite uh, movie star or celebrity or, or the, some, whoever that person is that you said, I want to become like them. I've always wanted to model my life after them. And that person that you respect so much comes to you and says, hey, I got all the time in the world. I'm not busy at all. And I would like you to come and to hang out with me for the next three years and do life together, you and me, and we're going to do everything together. Would you say yes? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm a little busy, you know, my show's on tonight. Oh my word, yes, you would say yes, of course. This is what you've been waiting your whole life for, and so Jesus is inviting these fishermen into relationship, and he's inviting us into relationship, not to morality, not to just be a better person or to be more holy, but to follow the greatest rabbi who ever lived. And so we see in our story today this phrase, which I believe gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. It's the invitation, the high invitation to follow him, and the high challenge to make fishers of men. So let's look at it another way. I hope that all of you will be able to see this. And if you can't, you can come look at it afterwards. I'm going to move it up a little bit here. Try to do the best I can. So here's another way of looking at it. You're going to see John's amazing artwork today. So it seems like Jesus is sort of setting up this dichotomy, this chart, where he's saying, come follow me. And that's a pretty high invitation, right? It's an invitation to relationship, right? And we know that we can accept an invitation to relationship on various degrees. You can say, well, I'll kind of follow you. I'll try. I think I can. Or I'm all in, right? I'm all in. I'm up here. But Jesus also doesn't just say, hey, come hang out with me and we're just going to have a little social club. Jesus offers them a high invitation, but he also offers them a high challenge. And I'm sorry if you can't read that. So we have a high, whoops, we have a high invitation and we have a high challenge, okay? So Jesus is setting up this idea where it's really important that we do both. So I guess if you played that out, this would be a low challenge and this would be a low invitation, right? Now I want you to think about this. A lot of you have had a lot of different experiences with this thing we call Christianity, 
right? Whether that was in high school or college or maybe growing up at your parents' church, uh, maybe with this church, maybe with a church that you used to go to. And it's my assumption that as Jesus laid out, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Jesus is saying, X marks the spot, right? It's both, right? Follow me and make fishers of men. So this would be the ideal way that Jesus is calling us to view our Christian walk, and this leads to life, right? This leads to life. That's what we're shooting for. But, unfortunately, a lot of you, maybe that hasn't been your experience with Christianity. Some of you fall into this category of high invitation, but low challenge. And you know what that makes for? Cozy Christianity, right? Did Jesus' number one goal to make you happy and cozy? I don't think so. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Leave everything behind. That's not very cozy. A lot of you have been in ministry or church settings where you are loved and you are welcome to the point where, you know what? We're just not going to challenge you at all. We're going to skip over those parts in the Bible that are tough. We're not going to call you to the same things that Jesus called you to do. You can just come in and just get your coffee and just consume. You don't really have to do anything to follow Jesus, right? Now, this isn't works. We're not earning his love. We already have his love, right? Duh. We've got that, right? We don't need to earn that. That becomes sort of cozy and comfortable and we get complacent. And you've all been in places where that just kind of turns into a, I don't know, a clique, a little social club. There's no challenge. If we move down to here and we're looking, we've got low invitation and we've got low challenge. So I'm not really loved and welcomed <laughs> and there really is no challenge for me. I would just call that boring, right? Or you could call it irrelevant, right? Boring or irrelevant Christianity. And we don't really want to go there. That's not what Jesus calls to. Now, the one that you might think, oh, it's good, right? High challenge, but low invitation, so what happens a lot of times is we get really, really busy for God. We forget to be with God. Jesus says, first of all, come follow me. Be in relationship with me. And then he says, make fishers of men, right? But a lot of times we just skip over the relationship part and we say, I'm going to do all these things for you, Jesus. I'm going to invite. I'm going to be involved in eight Bible studies. I'm going to help set up chairs. I'm going to serve the poor. I'm going to do all these things and it's going to make me feel really, really, really good. But has it ever wrecked you? Has it ever gotten to be a part of you? The most important thing that we need to do and the reason that I get so passionate every single week is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Because it's got to change us. You can only give away what you're becoming. So this just leads to burnout. And the question is, where are you? What kind of model of Christianity are you falling into these days? Cozy? Where everything's just, ah, Boring? Irrelevant? Are you just burned out because you think you have to do all these things for God? Or are you experiencing transformation? Are you living, are you following Jesus' call to high invitation and high challenge? Our desire as a church, if you've ever wondered, is to be right here. And what that means is not 
perfection, what that means is, are you on the journey? That's what we're asking. Are you following Jesus? Are you on the journey? Are you accepting his call to invitation? And are you living out his challenge to, as it says on our banner, love the city and make disciples? That's the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Are you living for something bigger than yourself? And are you bringing as many people along for the ride as you can to share the good news with those who have not yet heard that there is a God who loves them? Do you know that this morning? That there is a God who loves you, who says, I'm going to wipe your slate clean. In fact, I already have. I forgive you. And there's nothing that you could ever do to change the way that I feel about you. My love for you is unconditional. Where are you? Where are you these days? Where are you? Maybe just write that down this morning. Where am I? Write that down and just ask, where am I? The answer might surprise you. What version of Christianity are you living? One that you're comfortable with? One that's in the box? One that you invented and you said, well, this is what it means for me. Or are you living out the call that Jesus asked the fishermen in Mark chapter 1 that day? So as you're thinking about that, the question might be rattling around in your brain. Okay, so John, I'm, I'm on board. I'm ready to go fishing for people. I'm ready for the high invitation and the high challenge. But what does that mean? Certainly, we're not talking about getting a fishing pole and I'm going to go out here and start fishing for men, right? We're not going to go hook people in. That's not what we're called to do. Well, probably not. But if you've got your paper, I want you to write this down. This is what I believe a good definition of fishing for people is. And there's probably a lot of them, but I think this encompasses it. And this will be up on the screen. Fishing for people is inviting them to follow Jesus and have their lives changed forever. Fishing for people is presenting Jesus to them through our words and deeds. Notice the and there through our words and our deeds. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, John, are you kidding me? That is a great illustration, and I appreciate your awesome artwork there. Um, You don't really expect me to do that, do you? Right? I mean, this is just for those certain kind of Christians, right? You don't actually think that I am going to go fish for people who don't know Jesus. You actually think that I am going to go tell a coworker or a classmate or a friend or even a family member about Jesus. I mean, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? But I just dread, I just dread thinking about sharing my faith with other people. I mean, I'm no, I'm no extroverted Elaine. I'm no seminary trained Sam. I'm no Bible scholar Bob. In fact, I just found Mark a couple minutes ago. Maybe that's you. You think, I just found it. I just got there. Woo! That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad that you found Mark. Maybe you're saying, I didn't even know where it was. And that's where you are in your journey. That's where you are in your journey today. And that's great. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, John, mine's more of a private faith. Yeah, I, I, I don't, it's mine and I believe it, but it doesn't go much further than that. I mean, I'm more of an introvert. You're not really asking me to do this are you? It's easy for us, isn't it, to throw up objection after objection. 
to say, you know what, I, I would just rather live kind of a comfortable, cozy life. I'm just going to kind of wander over into this area, into this quadrant over here. I, I love the invitation. I want to be warm and fuzzy and cozy Christianity. But can we just avoid the whole challenge part? Can we just avoid the whole thing that Jesus calls us to do of being fishers of people? Can we just avoid that? But you know what? I am so glad that Simon and Andrew and James and John didn't throw up those objections. Because if they had, this movement called Christianity would have stopped with four converts. <laughs> and you wouldn't be here today. And I wouldn't be here today if they hadn't taken high invitation and high challenge Seriously, if they wouldn't have believed the rabbi who came and looked each of them in the eyes and said, I believe in you. This isn't a legalistic thing. This isn't, I'm going to do high invitation and high challenge, and then I'll be a good Christian, and then I'll earn God's love. You already have God's love. You don't even have to be on the chart anywhere. God loves you unconditionally today, and he's saying out of a genuine and authentic response to that love, how can I not fish for people? Because it's who you created me to be. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? And I want you to think just for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian and you're here today, I want you to think about it for a second. Who fished for you? Who is that person that fished for you? Who is it that put away their objections and put away their fears and took the risk and invested the time to make sure that you're sitting here today? Who was that person or those people? I want you to think about that. Who fished for you? And we're going to come back to that at the end. And so as you're doing that, I want you to think about also the person that might be in your pond, wherever that is today, who needs a person like you to fish for them. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. Maybe it's somebody in your own family. What's your pond today? It doesn't matter if you like fishing or not, if you think it's smelly. We're not fishing for fish, folks. We're fishing to let God, through us, change people's lives. Here's today's message in two words. If you forget anything else, remember this. Followers fish. Followers fish. There's your sticky statement for today. Followers fish. Fishing is an option if you're deciding what to do for a hobby during the summer. But if you're following Jesus today, fishing is not an option. There's a lot of other rabbis that you can follow. There's a lot of other people in this world that say, come follow me and I'll do what? Or you can follow this rabbi who says, I'm going to teach you to how to impact people's lives for eternity. Who are you following today? So we come back to the first question we asked when you said, oh, I was born to shop or golf or rock or run. I was born to do those things. When you're running, you don't think about running. You just do it. When you're shopping, you just go because it brings you joy. When I'm golfing, I just golf. When you're fishing, you just fish because it's who you were created to be. It's what you were created to do. And I want to ask you, what if the natural rhythm of your life was to love so authentically, was to serve so selflessly, was to invest in other people's lives so deeply that you didn't even realize you were doing it. 
because it's natural. It's just who you are because followers fish. Now, I think a part of the problem with this whole fishing thing and maybe what you're feeling a little bit right now is that often we make it far too complex and we make it far too confrontational. Somehow we've reduced the most incredible adventure in the world of following Jesus, I believe, to, to, to um, coming up with some well-rehearsed speech to convince someone, random person that you've never met and don't have a relationship with, to convince someone on the street that they're a dirty, rotten, horrible sinner and they're going to go to hell if they don't repent today. Is that high invitation to relationship? Is that what our rabbi did? Yeah, sometimes he needed to confront people, and that's the challenge part. That's over here. But he did it in the context of relationship. Jesus was extremely busy, and he did all sorts of things, but he always took time for people. People, not projects. Followers, fish. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. I see our rabbi saying, come live life with me. I'm going to eat, sleep, walk, talk, work, play, learn, teach right alongside of you because real love doesn't just talk it, real love walks it. I see the Apostle Paul when he's working with the church in Thessalonica and we're going to read this together. This is what Paul's heart is for his church. He picks up on this thing with Jesus. He's been fishing for the Thessalonians and Thessalonians. You can Google that. I don't know what that is. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what Paul says to the people that he has offered a high invitation to, and he says this. Let's read it together. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Does it say that Paul went hunting for people? No. Paul went fishing for people, and the church exploded. Jesus didn't say to the fishermen that day, follow me and I'll teach you how to hunt. No, he said, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish because hunting is confrontational, <laughs> right? Fishing is not confrontational, right? You don't get down in the water and say, I'm going to get you, you little dirty, rotten fish, right? <laughs> hunting is confrontational, but fishing is attractional. And it's the same Jesus that says to us, you're the salt of the earth to bring flavor to life. You are the light of the world to bring God's light into dark places. Followers, fish. Ask any fisherman. Fishing is attractional. You can't force or coerce the fish. Fishing is about being gentle. It's about treating people with dignity and respect. It's about treating people like people, not your Christian project. Did you hear me on that one? That's big. We love to make people projects. We treat people with dignity and respect. What would it look like for you to love and invest in someone's life simply because that's what you're called to do, not to get anything out of it. If that fish that you're fishing for just doesn't want to bite, but they keep swimming around, are you going to give up on them? We have a rabbi that never gives up on us. And that's why every single one of us are here. And the question is, what is it that we're inviting people to? Are we just inviting people to Sunday worship? Well, maybe that's a part of it. 
Maybe it's inviting people to, to Alpha this fall. Maybe it's inviting people to one of our life groups. That's great. But ultimately, the question I'm asking you is, what are you inviting people into? Well, if we're going to follow our rabbi, it's relationship. It's a high invitation. You're inviting them into your life. And I see this happening. I love I love this church because you get this, and I see it happening all the time. I see people, I see you fishing all the time, and you don't even have to use a pole. I see you fishing all the time. You're, you're calling a friend to get lunch or coffee, or you're inviting your neighbors over for dinner, or you're, you're joining a local volleyball league and, and, and meeting people. You're intentionally getting to know that barista where you stop and get your coffee every single day, and instead of just shooting the breeze about the weather, you've actually taken the time to care unfortunately, what Walmart or Kmart or Sears or JCPenney, what they believe is kind of true. People don't know how much you know until they know how much you care. High invitation brings about high challenge. Maybe fishing for people is simply going into each day saying, God, I am available to you and I am ready for you to use me however you would like so that people would see you through my life. Maybe it's not about confrontation. Maybe it's about availability and intentionality. So what does that mean, John? What does that look like to start fishing? Well, for me today, it simply means I'm going to start praying for those people that maybe aren't connected with Jesus. I'm not going to go confront them. I'm going to pray for them. Because ultimately, it's not me that's going to change them. It's God. Who are those people that you care so deeply about and they need to be invited to know this Jesus. Because ultimately, it's not about us. Maybe for you, it's the walk across the office to that other cubicle. Maybe for you, it's the walk from your backyard to your neighbor's fence. And that's your first step today. The question is, and am I available enough to know their story, to know their interests, to know their hurts, their fears? And, and I just wonder, isn't that what you would want in an authentic relationship? A lot of times, we spend a lot of time trying to convert people and build relationships with people in a way that we would never want. How would you want to be invested in? <laughs> and maybe that's what we're called to do for others. This whole thing can feel really scary and inadequate. We can feel really inadequate. But I was reminded a couple weeks ago of God's faithfulness for us as fishermen. Tiffany and I were taking our eight-year-old nephew to the Bible camp that we worked at for many summers, and uh, our, our eight-year-old nephew, and we're taking him to camp for the first time. And um, as we got there, it was a really strange thing for me because we're used to receiving the campers and telling the parents, we'll take good care of them. And so we're on the other side, and we're dropping off our nephew who we love and we care about. It's the very first time. He's a little nervous. And so we're like introducing ourselves to counselors and getting to know them and I just, all these memories start coming back about all the time that I spent for eight summers investing in, in boys grade three all the way through high school. And I'm just looking around and I don't recognize any of the counselors and I just start to feel really old and like, what did I do here for a decade of my life, right? Did I, did I make any difference? And I just, I started to get, uh, think about how, how nervous I was when I was a counselor. How, how nervous, how, how little I knew of the Bible, how, how imperfect of a follower of Jesus I was. And I just I wonder like, man, I wonder where my former campers are at these days. Like, do they ever come back? <laughs> like, are they even, 
following Jesus today? Like, what difference did it really make? And so we're leaving. I'm kind of down on myself. And we're driving out of the camp, and the last people that we see are these two male counselors that are in their early 20s. And we're driving out, and Tiffany knows them because she worked with them, and I drive out. I don't, I don't know them. And I roll down the window, and she starts talking to them, and the guy leans into the window and looks at me and says, are you John? I said, yeah. And he said, you're John. I said, yeah. And he said, you were my counselor when I was in sixth grade. And I said, I'm guessing you graduated from sixth grade. He said, yeah, I'm a junior at Iowa State. And I'm leading my campus ministry. I said, what are you doing this summer? I'm on the discipleship team. Completely forgotten. I don't even remember his name, to be honest. I'm on the discipleship team. I'm, um, I'm investing in other counselors who then invest in the kids, and I'm pouring into other guys, leading them to Jesus in my dorm room. And I said, so you remember me? And he said, oh yeah, I remember you. And I said, you came back, that's good. Yeah, I came back, John. You're the first guy that I ever met that was really excited about following Jesus. And I've been back every summer since. And I don't, I was even hesitant to tell you that story because I don't tell you that story to boost my own ego. I don't, I don't need that. I tell you that story because sometimes even your pastor wonders if fishing is worth it. Is it worth it? If the time that we spend loving and investing and serving the people, if we actually live out what it says on that banner, is it worth it? Is it making a difference in the city of Des Moines? And it was almost like God reminded me and to tell you today, God was smiling down on us saying, keep fishing, John. Keep fishing because even when you feel so inadequate and even when it feels so awkward, I can change lives through you. So I'll go back to the question that I asked earlier. Who fished for you? Who was it that fished for you? Who are the people that pointed you to a relationship with Jesus Christ? And here's my just little short, quick assignment for you this week. Whoever that person is, write them a thank you note. Send them an email. Send them them a text. Call them on the phone. I don't care. Maybe that person's in this room. You're here because somebody else in this church fished for you. Maybe it's someone from your past that you've never thanked. Who is that person? And I encourage you to tell them thank you because chances are they don't know and they need to know how much that meant. And secondly, who's in your pond today? Who are you going to get a thank you note from someday? Who are you going to get a thank you note from someday? And finally, my guess is that there might be some of you sitting here right now that you don't really know what to think about this whole fishing thing because you're still exploring this Christianity and, and you haven't really decided if following Jesus is for you. And maybe if you've listened to me talk about fishing for people, you just feel like barfing. <laughs> and maybe you have some friends like that. They're just like, are you serious? You fish for people? Barf. Maybe you're thinking, this is why I really can't stand Christians. Maybe you have some friends like that. And if that's you today, I just want you to know, we're so glad that you're here. 
and we're honored that you're here. But I also want you to know if somebody invited you here today, if somebody's been fishing for you or praying for you, it's because they've, what they've found in a relationship with Jesus Christ is so amazing and so incredible and so life-changing that they can't not, not share it with you. They want you to know the forgiveness, the love, the joy that you're not going to find anywhere else outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This isn't a game for us. This isn't a sport. This is as real as real life gets. So I want you to hear it from my heart this morning. We want you to know the same joy that the four fishermen knew that day. What's your next step today? Maybe it's time to drop your nets, to let go, and for the first time today, start following Jesus. Or maybe your next step today is to get back on the journey. To stop settling for your own version of Christianity, cozy, boring, or burnt out, and start living the abundant life that Jesus calls you to live. Amen.